0: Let's make our way in our Bible this morning to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. We're coming through the book of Jonah, and uh, last week we looked at a very introductory type of message and overview of the book and kind of saw a little bit of the big picture of what we see through Jonah, and there's so much more that we could have probably gleaned there, but uh, this morning we want to begin here and look at verse 1 through 3 uh, a little bit more specifically, and uh, here's where we'll see the opening of the book, and and uh, God's command to Jonah, and I've titled the message, The Runaway Prophet, The Runaway Prophet, and I title that because he is the prophet who ran away. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, pretty simple and, and to the point, point. and uh, so let's begin and look at the book of Jonah, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, and I pray we can glean some things from this passage. As uh, Through this passage, we see a lot of application, applicational things I'll bring out. Uh, But notice with me verse number 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. And found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to to Tarshish from the presence, away from the presence of the Lord. You know, our passage presents us with a very plain command that is given to Jonah. And we think about commands and edicts and things that we are given to do. How do you respond to commands? Now, many people don't respond too well to them since it's our natural inclination to not like to be told what to do, right? Uh, We don't like that. Uh, If you don't believe that, just ask Jubilee and David. Man, they just all the time commanded each other to do this, do that, and they don't like it. Uh, But many of the commands we hear and respond to in life uh, are necessary. We get commands from our parents. We get commands from our bosses. Sometimes from our spouses, if you know what I mean. And it's important to heed those, right? Uh, but who did, what, what, what determines how we respond to those commands? What dictates how you respond? Is it what you think about the command? Is it who's giving the command? What determines how we respond to any given command? Well, how we view it is going to determine whether we respond in a good or bad way. Now, I remember going through high school, and I used to hate homework assignments. I mean, that's just your typical high schooler, right? If you're in high school and you love homework, I'll pray for you. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but, uh, man, I hated English assignments and writing assignments because I was terrible at it, and the opposites happened. Now I have to do that, and I love to do that. I love English. I love reading. I love writing. Uh, but I remember I would get some of those assignments in school, and I would just hear the teacher give that out, and I just dread just came all over me. And I'm like, oh, I wish there was a way I could eliminate this or run away from it or get out of doing it, right? But I knew that if I tried to run from it or tried to get out of doing it, tried to slough it off, that there was an authority I was going to have to account to, right? The teacher and then ultimately my grade and report card and that gets to mom and dad and and ultimately they're going to tell me about God expects me to do good. So there's a chain of authority I knew I was going to have to go through. Uh, Then there were some who did refuse to do the assignments, and they earned their own trouble and punishment from not doing it because they rejected what they're supposed to do. You see, we respond to commands in different ways. Sometimes we may like what we're commanded to do. Sometimes we may not like what we're commanded to do. And here in our text, we see Jonah, the response of Jonah to God's command to him. His response, I think, is pretty obvious that he didn't like the command given to him. And with his response, it is a response of disobedience. It's a response of really all-out rebellion, running from God. We introduced him in our last message to learn a little bit about him and about the book. We learned that he is a prophet to the northern, northern territory of, of Israel. And God used Jonah in prophesying that uh, God would restore their land through a wicked king. We know as Jeroboam II second. And so, Jonah saw firsthand God's mercy and grace, even upon the wickedness of the northern kingdom of Israel. He's been used of God. He knows what it is to be used of God. And now God calls upon Jonah to use him in another way, in a very unique way, in a way he's never been used before. But this time, Jonah, he's not on board with what God's telling him. He's not. He is not in agreement. He's not on board with God's call. He makes the bold and, may I say, dangerous decision to forsake God's command and even the very land and people to whom he is called to serve. Now, Jonah, I want to point out, he's a prophet that we learn from. He's a prophet that we learn from. Now, like anyone in life, whether they have a good or bad testimony, you can learn from them. You can learn from them. There are good examples of people in the Bible who obeyed and saw great fruit and saw God work. There are bad examples of the Bible who were people who were carnal and worldly and just didn't want to do what God called them to do. And Jonah's kind of one of those examples where we learn how not to respond to the call and command of God. So, with me in our notes this morning, I want to point out three things from this text that I pray will help us come into the book and really uh, lay the direction of the book as what we see here. Notice with me number one, I want you to see the sovereign call to Jonah. The sovereign call to Jonah. And I pointed out that one of the themes in this book is the sovereignty of God. It's that God is the one ruler and king and has absolute control over everything, including the weather, including the animals, including Jonah, including Nineveh, including the plants. There's not anything that's outside of the sovereign rule of God. And so here's what I want to point out about this call to Jonah. God's call carries the utmost authority behind it. God's call carries the utmost authority in what is said here. Now we find through the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, that when God spoke to or through the prophets, this phrase in verse 1 would frequently appear. In verse 1 we read, the book begins with this. Now the word of the Lord came. Just pause and ponder for a moment. Now the word of the Lord came. You see, this is the definitive point that ushers us into the narrative we know as Jonah. Without this, there is no story of Jonah. If God doesn't speak, if God doesn't call here, He doesn't usher forth His Word, then we don't have any knowledge, we wouldn't have this account that we have before us. But just ponder the reality of this, to hear the Word of the Lord. What does it mean that the Word of the Lord has come to Jonah? It means that the very voice of Almighty God has spoken directly to Him. The voice of the Almighty is calling down to Jonah, to Jonah. Now when it comes to the voice of God, to His Word, what do we know about it? We know that the Word of the Lord is holy and unlike any other word in existence. King David said this about the voice of God. He said in Psalm 29 and verse 4, he says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Is there any voice, is there any word that uh, is, is even comparable to the voice of Almighty God? There is none. There is none that compares. Now, when we... Think about the voice of God. Is there anything that we know of that would reveal to us just how powerful and how majestic the voice of God is? All we have to do is look backwards to the very beginning, to the very creation event. How is it that God brought forth all that we know, all that we see, all that is in existence in this universe, in time and space and matter? How is it that all of it ever came into being? The answer is the voice of God. Just His very speaking. He ushered forth all that you and I see and know. The Hebrew author said in Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by what? By the word of God. So that what is seen was not, made out of th- was, was not made out of things that are visible. Out of things that are visible because God is invisible, right? He is spirit in nature and so he in eternity past decreed that he would create and usher forth an existence by which through all of it from beginning to end of history and on into eternity, his glory would be preeminent and that he would redeem and save a people unto himself. What a staggering truth this is. Can you even wrap your mind around the power of God in just Him speaking? He says, let it be, and so it comes to be. We see this even in the ministry of Christ. The power of the voice of God. Now, consider that Jesus, understand He is God in flesh. He's not just some other prophet like Jonah was or like Elijah was. Jesus is God in flesh. By His Word, He calmed the raging storm. By His word, He casts out devils out of people. By His word, He cured disease. By His word, He raised the dead, friend. By the word of God, He did this. And so we see the power of God's word and the majesty of His word. And with this one little phrase, the word of the Lord came, I want you to see that this voice is the one and only sovereign king over absolutely everything. The fact that the Word of God comes forth means that that there 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 is authority behind it. Authority unlike any other that Jonah has heard or known. You see, God is the ruler of everything in this world. His decrees, His words, and His will. They are supreme above all others. Now, we in this world, we recognize the authority of certain people when they speak whether that may be national leaders, local leaders, bosses, parents, whatever you want to say, we recognize there are certain authorities that are given. Sometimes dad or mom would relay a message to me that would come through my sister. You all know how that goes, right? With a sibling that comes to you with a message and says, mom and dad said this, and my first inclination is, uh, yeah, right, they did not say this, you're just making this up to make me do something on behalf of their authority. So her voice didn't carry much authority to me. But then once I hear the voice of mom or dad call from downstairs, Joseph, Joseph, I knew there's authority there. There's something there that means I have to pay attention to what is actually being said. I have to listen in to what is the responsibility of that mo- me in that moment. And the responsibility of all people in this world, Christian, is to recognize the authority of the Word of God. I want to point this out briefly from Isaiah 66. I love this passage of Scripture as it communicates the proper heart and attitude towards the Word of God. Something that we see Jonah does not really manifest in this text. Isaiah 66 and verse 1 through verse Two. Notice this with me. He says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and notice this last statement, and trembles. Trembles at what? At my word. Trembles at my word. You see, you recognize what the prophet says here today. And the attitude that we ought to have towards the word of God. Do you tremble before the word of God? Meaning, do you have a a holy and humble reverence for the authority that God is the one who is speaking? Because there's no authority higher than Him. You see, our text tells us, we see the word of the Lord came to a man named Jonah. And as God's prophet, Jonah received this very special and unique revelation from God. This was a direct word to Jonah. Jonah. But by way of application for today, I think it's important that we recognize the authority of the Word of God to us today, because you're not going to get some audible voice coming to you and saying, go to Nineveh, but yet we still do have the Word of the living God, don't we? Do you understand that the Word of the living God is right in your lap if you're holding a Bible? That is the voice Of God, It is not just a book. It is the voice. It is the word of the living God. Now, too often today, the Bible is treated as if it's just another book. As if it's not that important. As if it can be heard and obeyed here or there. Or whenever a person feels like it. Friend, no, I want you to understand this. If you don't get anything else out of the message, understand this. You must see that the Bible is the voice of the Almighty to you. It's for us. God has given it to reveal to mankind His nature and, and the truth that we need to know and, and all that man needs. He has given it through specific men to, who communicated it throughout history and penned it down for us. As the Apostle Peter rightly said in 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Christian, the only way to approach your Bible is with humility. The only way is to approach it with humility. Bowing ourselves before our sovereign, ready to learn, ready to do all that he commands. And I say that because in our text we see Jonah, he does not have that kind of attitude, does he? He he does not show that. But notice with me letter B this morning. We see God's call not only carries the utmost authority, there's no higher authority over the Word of God, but notice that it also carries an unavoidable application. An unavoidable application. Notice that the Word came to Jonah the son, of Amittai. And so we see the specific nature of it coming to this one man. But I think and ponder for a moment, who is Jonah that the word of the living God should come to him? Who is he? He was no one extra special. He was a sinner fallen in Adam, Adam's nature, just like all of us, wasn't he? That's exactly who he was. Sure, he was a prophet of God. But you understand that Jonah being a prophet is only a prophet because God chose him to be a prophet and made him a prophet. You see, Jonah owes everything to the grace of God. And the very fact that you and I get to hear from God is indeed a gift of grace. It's a gift of mercy because God is obligated to do nothing for us. He doesn't have to tell us anything. He could have left us in our sin to die and perish without any hope of salvation. He would have still been loving and just and holy and good and all that he is. Wouldn't have changed his character. But yet I see the grace in that God is reaching to Jonah, giving him a call, and it is going to give a specific application with it. Now you understand that regardless of, of Jonah's prophetic status, remember, not everyone in ancient Israel received the word of the Lord as the prophets did. Not every Israelite had direct access to the Word of God at any time they wanted like you and I do today, right? Yes, there were some copies of Scriptures in different locations and some probably had, had, had a copy of this scroll or that scroll, but those were few. They, they didn't have printing presses. They didn't have bookstores. They didn't have Amazon or, or, or Lifeway or any of the ChristianBook.com resources. We can get Scripture at, at, at will. So for the word of God to come to Jonah afresh is a privilege beyond recognition today. To be a prophet of God, a man whom God has chosen to communicate His word to His people, that was a precious calling to Him. You see, not always was the word of the Lord coming in a fresh revelation. There were times when it was pretty scarce. In fact, we read in 1 Samuel 3, 1, The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And listen to this. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Think about that. Was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. No frequent revelation from God. So anytime God spoke, it had great significance and great application. And so what we find here... Is that God is speaking to Jonah to bring about something that is very important. So when it comes to the Word of God, understand it is it is not just a declaration to tell us something so that we know something we didn't know or just to entertain our hearing. What is interwoven into the Word of God? It is application, it is obedience. God is not calling up on Jonah and saying, hey, Jonah, how you doing? Hope you're doing well. Okay, see you later. He's giving Jonah something serious. He's not just wasting Jonah's time. He's got content and meaning. You know, in my teenage years, I was such a prankster. I figured out that you could prank call people, and you could hide your number so they wouldn't know who was calling. Man, I used to do that to my aunts and uncles and cousins and and uh, get them all riled up, right? That's the kind of call that's just a waste of time. Nowadays, you know what I get? All kinds of calls that are nothing but a waste of time. (laughs) Spam, telemarketers, and I think maybe I'm reaping what I sowed in my, my teenage years. It's just filler. It's just nonsense, right? But you understand with God, everything that God says always has meaning. You understand when you read your Bible... There is no such thing as just filler. Even when you're going through Numbers and Leviticus and some of those places where you're reading all about genealogies and so-and-so lived this, this long and all that, all of it has purpose. And there's no such thing as filler when it comes to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, God says this through Paul, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This is what God's Word is meant to do, to impact the hearts of people like you and I. And so why does God speak to Jonah here? Because He wants Jonah to do something. And here's what I want you to see. This sovereign call is a direct imperative command to Jonah. That means Jonah has to obey this. It did not come as something that is optional for Jonah. He does not say, Jonah, if you feel like it, please go to Nineveh. No, God says to Jonah, Arise and go. Arise and go. It did not come to Jonah with further explanation about all the details, about how they would respond or even why God would care to send a prophet to such a heathen city. You see call demanded one application and that is obedience now here's the thing I want to bring to your attention today is that there are many people today who will consent to obey God's word only if it makes sense to them or if it is convenient for them take heed to that Christian you're not called to obey the Bible if it makes sense to you or if it's convenient for you you're called to obey the Bible because God is the voice of the Bible He's called you to live it, to obey it. You see, that's not how it works. God, God calls upon His people to obey because He is their King. He's their sovereign. He's their ruler. He's the one who governs all things for His glory and their good. He always knows what is best. And One of the great glories of being a Christian is that God... He's chosen to use us in the means of accomplishing his purposes in the world. He could have done anything else that he wanted, but he chooses to use us for that. And in using us, we are called to obey the word of God. James 1.22, you read the few verses in 1, convey this message, but just in short, James 1.22 is so plain to me, so plain to all of us, He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You understand, when we hear the word of God and we think, oh, that's great, but we don't go off and do the word of God, we have deceived ourselves. We've deceived ourselves. And that's what Jonah is doing. You you understand Jonah's decision to disobey God? He has deceived himself. He has heard plainly what God wants him to do, and he has deceived himself in not going to Nineveh. So that brings me to number two. We see the sovereign call to Jonah. It comes with the utmost authority, and it comes with application. And we glean our own application from those things. But notice with number two, we see the specific commission to Jonah. This is where we see what Jonah is to do in this call. Very plainly from our text, Jonah must go preach to Nineveh. That's what he's called to do. That's the specific nature of this commission. Go preach to Nineveh. Verse 2. With his authority behind his word, God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now, as you read this text, is this some code that's hard to decipher? Or is it just a clear and plain exhortation? It's pretty clear and plain to me. He's calling Jonah to do something he's already familiar with. Jonah is a prophet. He's already pronounced and proclaimed on behalf of God to the people of Israel. So so he wants him to get up, go to Nineveh, and call out against him. Now the term call out means to announce. It's a technical term for introducing what a prophet has to say or do. It's equivalent to what we would say is preaching, proclaiming. Heralding, heralding the truth of God. And so Jonah is to go to Nineveh and preach against Nineveh, to call out to herald against Nineveh. Now here's what I want you to see with this, is that that preaching and proclamation, it is not some new method of ministry. It's the same method of ministry God's been using in the Old and in the New Testament. God calls prophets to proclaim His Word to His people. God calls preachers and pastors and evangelists and missionaries today to do the same, but in the context of the local church. you understand the vital importance of the preaching of the Word of God? 1 Corinthians 1.21, Paul the Apostle says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach To save those who believe. The folly of what we preach, God uses to save those who believe. You see, one of the great dangers and deceptions of today is that God's work will be accomplished with newer methods and just throw preaching out the window. Preaching is just too old-fashioned. Too unappealing to the outside world. Let it be known to all of us that preaching is the ordained method of God to reach sinners and edify believers in the church. And that's not going to change. There is not a better way to accomplish gospel ministry. And the fact is, is that when churches today find, look for better ways, they end up ruining the way. Because God's ordained that the preaching of the gospel is what saves Sinners. And he's ordained that for Jonah, that preaching to Nineveh is what is needed. That's what he says. And so preaching is central and must be foundational to every biblical church. Now, now preaching in and of itself was not a new or hard task for Jonah. He's already been God's prophet. He has declared God's revelation to the people before. But what we see here is more than just going to, say, the temple or some local area in northern Israel to Preach, thus says the Lord, to a disobedient Israelite people. Notice that God says, go where? Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Where was Nineveh? Nineveh was located on the east bank of the Tigris River, about 220 miles north of present-day Baghdad. If you look at a map, that's over 500 miles northeast of Israel. Now, 500 miles is, you know, that's a pretty good trip even for today, isn't it? We've got cars that loot 80 miles an hour. Trains, we can fly on planes. Jonah didn't have any of that. That's a long journey. That's a long call to go all the way to Nineveh, to this distant city. So we see Nineveh's far away. What else we learn about Nineveh? Nineveh was was founded by Nimrod in Genesis 10, verse 9 through 11. You'll see that. And interestingly, this I found out is that the name Nineveh means fish town. Why does God call Nineveh that great city? Well, Nineveh was among the largest cities of the ancient world. And we'll dig into that a little bit more detail in chapter 3. But Jonah knew all about Nineveh. He knew where it was. He knew who they were. And so Jonah's commission here starts with a rise and go. seems simple enough. One would think that maybe after hearing this command, we get this great story of the prophet Jonah who went to Nineveh immediately at God's command and went and saw great things happen through God's power. One would think that might be a great story, but that's not what we see in our account, is it? He didn't have the kind of heart like Isaiah. When God called Isaiah and showed the wickedness of the people of Israel and God's own holiness, and Isaiah says, "Hear him, high, Lord, send me. I'll go. I'll go. That's not Jonah's heart. Notice with me, letter B, in the specific nature of this commission. Not only must Jonah go preach to Nineveh, Nineveh must hear of their impeding, impending judgment. They must hear about the impending judgment of God. Now, what's the reason to go preach to Nineveh? God says in our text, For their evil or their wickedness is come up before me. So what's, what's God care about the evil of Nineveh, right? You understand, God cares about all the evil in all the world. The Bible tells us in Psalms that God is angry with the wicked every day. That there's not a day that goes by that wickedness does does not spur his, his, his holy and righteous indignation against it. And so God's holiness, understand, demands justice upon all wickedness, upon all evil. And wickedness always leads to one thing, it leads to judgment. God is the judge, not only over Israel, but over every other nation in the world, too. You understand that? There's coming a day in which the dead will rise, the just and the unjust. And every individual will stand before the holy creator. Every person is accountable for their life in this world. And the lives of men are filled with evil, for which we are accountable. That's why we need salvation in Christ alone. So God is the judge of all the earth. As Abraham rightly said to him when he's conversing with the Lord about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, and will will you spare it if there's this many righteous there, and if there's not. And he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? You notice he's the judge of all the earth, not just part of the earth. All of the earth. And so as the judge, he must do what is just, what is right, what is righteous judgment. And so we understand that that God is long-suffering with the nations, but there is a point at which the transgressions of the people become full, or they hit their limit, and God brings judgment down upon them in some way or another. Genesis 15-16 is one example where he's talking to Abraham about his future descendants who to possess the land of Canaan. And he says, at that time, then it will be time to drive out these, these abominable iniquity people, iniquitous people. Genesis 15, 16, They shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, they're going to get to a point in the future, in the fourth generation, it's going to be time to bring judgment on them. I'm going to use you to do that. That's what he's saying to them. You see, God's comment is what he's he's talking about. That they're going to be dispossessed from their land as an act of divine judgment. And so God is going to judge Nineveh for their wickedness unless they repent. And may I say that there is no exemption for any other nation on earth either. That's why we ought to be concerned about our own nation. Because who knows when we reach our limit in which God will judge our own nation. We as God's people need to be much in prayer and seeking him. But we think about the weakness of Nineveh. How wicked was Nineveh? Well, we get a little glimpse through some of their own writings at various points in history. Here's one example I'll read to you. After Jonah had gone there, this is later in their history, but this particular king in 883 through 859 B.C., I'm not going to try to say his name because I'll embarrass myself. But he said to one of his military victories, he said, I stormed the mountain peaks and took them In the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them with their blood. I dyed the mountain red like wool. Their heads of their warriors I cut off, and I formed them into pillars over against their city. Their young men and maidens I burned with fire. That's one example of the wickedness and evil of their violence. A century after Jonah's time, the prophet Nahum, we read, said of Nineveh in Nahum 3.1, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. You see what he calls them? A bloody city. that they, they are a people that are filled with violence. Now, though Nineveh repents in the days of Jonah, a generation or so later, they're back entrenched in their wickedness for which God would bring judgment on them. So with such a great and wicked city as Nineveh is, What's the use of even going there? That's what Jonah's thinking. Why not sit back and just let the fire fall? That's what Jonah wanted to do. But herein lies really the big picture, an undergirding thread through Jonah and all of Scripture. It's that God's call to Jonah reveals the great truth that God's grace is going to reach beyond Israel. and It has no boundaries to any ethnic group or city. Many Israelites, including Jonah, had a very limited view of God's grace. The limited view would impact Jonah's response and his command to him. Nevertheless, Jonah, he's called to go and preach against it. Judgment's on his way. Jonah was to obey. But what would Jonah actually do? Well, we know how the story goes. Let's look at number three. Notice with me the sinful conduct of Jonah. The sinful conduct of Jonah. It is here where we see the runaway prophet. The runaway prophet. The prophet who ran away. (laughs) We see the commission. We might expect a great tale of obedience. But in verse 3, we see these two words that really give a transition to the narrative and the story. But Jonah. But Jonah means that something different is happening than what God just commanded. But Jonah. Jonah, show us the direction that Jonah is going is not going to be in line with what God wanted him to do. You know, anytime we tell our kids to do something and we know they're not going to like having to do it, whether it's clean the room or whatever, there's usually a little too little word that follows from them, but this or but that. They don't like to do certain things. That's how kids are. It's how I was. Jonah here. But Jonah indicates he's decided he's not going to do what God wants him to do. Because in his heart, understand, he disagrees with God's command. That's this point. Jonah disagrees. He disagrees with God's command. And so this is where we have to understand that If you disagree with what God says, you're not going to obey what He says. That's what it boils down to. We've all had times in our lives when our thoughts and direction were in opposition to the Word of God because in that moment, we disagreed with what we thought we ought to do. But you understand, you can't walk with God if you're in disagreement with Him. You're not going to be used of God like you should be if you're in disagreement with Him. So Jonah, what's he do? He rose to flee, to run. Why did he flee? Because he disagreed with God's command. Why did he disagree with God's command? Well, maybe, maybe there's a few things we could speculate about. Maybe he saw it as really difficult. Man, Nineveh was so far away, it's going to be probably too hard. There are people there, their hearts are hard or stone, and I'd too difficult. Maybe it was fear of God's command. He knows how violent they are and how they've oppressed Israel in the Northern Territory. If I go there, they're going to kill me on sight. Maybe that's what it is. I think the third option is more realistic and true to the text. That is, he had bitterness towards God's command because he hated the Ninevites. He despised them. He had disdain for them as the enemies of Israel. They had done so much evil to his people already and Jonah, now God says, you go over there and preach to them about judgment coming. James Boyce illustrates this by saying, imagine the word of the Lord coming to a Jew who lived in New York during World War II telling him to go to Berlin to preach to Nazi Germany. The intensity, the the oppression, the the persecution, the martyrdom that was happening. You see, people, perhaps if God had, had told Jonah that Nineveh was not going to listen and repent, maybe he would have been more open to go, but God doesn't tell him how this is going to go down. Sometimes God would tell a prophet what the response was going to be. He told Jeremiah, they're not going to listen to you, but preach anyway. He told Isaiah, the same thing in Isaiah 6, 8 through 10. When, when Isaiah says, Hear my sin, me. He tells Isaiah, you're going to go preach to them. Their hearts are going to be hard, so they're not here. I can't imagine being called to preach and saying, you're going to preach your whole life and never see any fruit. People are going to hate you. People are going to listen to you. But that's what we find. Jonah doesn't know exactly how Nineveh is going to respond, but he does know that God's mercy just might save them. And so Jonah shows a clear disagreement with God's word. And here's really the question for all of us. Who are any of us to disagree with the word of God? Doesn't Paul answer something like that in Romans 9? Who are you, O man, who replies against God? We have no right to disagree with God. And what does disagreement with God's word immediately lead to? Letter B, we see it leads to disobedience. That Jonah disobeyed God's command. Verse number three, you'll notice this. But Jonah rose to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now just how far is Tarshish and what direction was it? I gave you a map in in your bulletin. You can look at it on both sides. One side shows just the journey through the sea a little bit and then back on the land and then back to Nineveh. But look at the other side where it shows where Tarshish is. The travel route, this would have been the travel route to Tarshish for Jonah. There's some debates regarding location of Tarshish, but most agree that it was over in Spain, modern-day Spain. It's more than 2,500 miles away from Israel. That is a long journey. 2,500 miles away. Talk about a runaway prophet. Here he is in Israel, and you got Tarshish way over here, and he's like, I'm getting on a boat, and I'm going over there. The opposite direction of where Nineveh was. You see, Tarshish was one of those distant places that had little knowledge of the one true God. Now, perhaps there were a few who knew of Jehovah back when Solomon had fleets of ships. One of them was in Tarshish. But regardless, Jonah is determined. That's where I'm going to go. I'm just going to get far away from here. Far away from here. You know, God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 66, 19, He said, I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors, survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, Lud, who draw the bow and to Tubal and Javan to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. They should declare my glory among the nations. Tarshish is listed here as one of those distant lands, but even in this text, God is showing how his glory is going to spread through the nations. Even those distant. You see, Jonah, he's going there to escape, not to evangelize. Not to evangelize. Douglas Stewart comments here and rightly says, Jonah, the ardent nationalist, therefore attempted to flee to a place where no fellow believers would be found, hoping that this would help ensure that God's word would not come to him again. If he stayed in Israel, he would expect to hear more from Yahweh, but if he left, he might hear nothing further. Maybe if I just go far enough away, God will kind of discontinue my prophetic ministry. And I won't have to go to Nineveh. I don't have to fulfill this command. How deeply Jonah was mistaken. You see, Jonah's sin is very deep. And I want to point out just a few ways why it is. Jonah is sinning against his own confession of faith in the one true God, Yahweh. If you look at verse 9, he makes this confession to the sailors later of who he is. Verse 9, he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Can you imagine? You understand? He's, he's sinning against the very confession that which he makes, that he is a, a, a child of the one true God, the God of Israel. The one true God, the Creator who made all things. He sins against His own confession. You understand that many Christians do this too in the way they live. If indeed they are born again. There are many who confess that they know Christ, but in their life and works they profess that they do not know Him. It ought not to be that way. But you look also at this. Jonah is sinning against his privileges as a prophet. Jonah had direct revelation of God and knew much about God. You understand that we who know God and know the Word of God, we are even more accountable to obey God? The more you know, the more you're accountable for. And so to live in disobedience as a Christian, knowing the Scriptures, knowing the Word of God, we are accountable to that. Privilege breeds obligation. You understand that just compounds in the Christian who chooses to live a life of disobedience. We have more accountability because we know the truth about God. Calvin rightly said this, All flee away from the presence of God who do not willingly obey His commandments. Notice also that Jonah sinned here. He is sinning also against the very revelation of Now, here's what I wonder. It says he's running from the presence of the Lord. Does he really think he's going to escape the presence of the Lord? No, he knew better than that. He's a prophet. He knows the character of God. If you look at the presence of God in Psalm 139, look at this with me, what David writes here. It's not even possible to escape the presence of God. He says where in verse seven of Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You understand, Christian? There's nowhere you can run or hide from God. So Jonah knows that. It wasn't so much the literal presence of God that he's fleeing, but rather the presence of where God was greatly known. Where he was greatly known. In fact, you see, Jonah went down to Joppa, which was not an Israelite port. So there he could get through the customs without anyone really recognizing. Aren't you a prophet of Israel? And yet here you go to Tarshish. Friend, we look at his course of disobedience. And in verse 3 as we close, and notice this. He goes down to Joppa. He found a ship going down to Tarshish. Down to Tarsus. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You notice he went down, he went down, he went down. And in a spiritual application of that, you understand that disobedience is always a movement downward in your life. Running from God is always a direction towards ruin that we're going to see very clearly in the next passage. So Jonah rises to flee. Here's the sovereign call of God and rises to run away from it. He disagreed with it. He disobeyed it. He is the runaway prophet. And Christian, what I take from this, and I hope you take from this, is to don't do what Jonah did. Don't do what Jonah did. Now, you may not get some supernatural call to go to Nineveh or do this or that, but you have a plain Bible right before you that calls you to live and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And the very best thing you can do with your life is to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. To live your life for Him. Trust Him. Even in the things that you don't understand. Walk with Christ. Obey Him. Don't be a runaway. Be one who is faithful to Him until the very end. Let us ponder on these truths here this morning. Let's stand to our feet as we close. We'll have a closing song in a moment. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the day, and thank you, Father, for this text before us. We know there's so much that we can glean from Jonah. There's a lot of application here within this short passage. Father, one thing we want to do is make sure that we are obedient to you. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. It's better than all the other things that we could think of to replace obedience. Jesus even said himself, why do we call him Lord if we do not do what he says? We know he is Lord. We know that you are the sovereign king. You have saved us by your grace alone. Cause us as your people, Father, to not be runaways like Jonah was. But, Father, rather to be run, running to you, to your word, obeying, living it out. For that is truly The faithful and fruitful and abundant life that we are designed to have in Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.